Okay, I'll use my radio voice. Hi everybody, I'm John Mejias here in New York City. And I'm Zach Smith here in Los Angeles. You're listening to the Eat Art podcast, where we talk to a real live visual artist about. It was just to make the work. If it finds a home, fine. And today I'm in the studio with Raymond Pettibone. It's more of a <laughs> basketball court than a. Studio. It's more a basketball court. Uh, as we said, we're here in the studio with Raymond Pettibone. Uh, Raymond, we usually start autobiographically at the beginning. Are you, you born in LA? In well, Tucson, but I grew up in LA. Or uh, North Wasco, California. Yeah. In Bakersfield, and uh, other than that, L.A. near the beach. That must have been nice near the beach. Yeah, like most of my life has been Mosa Beach, Long Beach, Redondo uh, Beach. Are you Venice near the beach, beach now? No. We're in Manhattan, um, sort of downtown. This is a. Uh, Soho. Okay. That's the studio we're at, and uh, my apartment is near City Hall. So do you miss the beach? So it's near the water. Oh, uh, yeah, actually, somewhat, but... But you've, you, you've learned to live with it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. There's, there's no uh, perfect place, you know? Yeah. That's a good name for an art show. <laughs> There's no perfect place. Until you die, I guess. I <laughs> so did you have a large family? It was, it was fairly large. It's, How many I brothers have, and sisters I did have, you have? I uh, have two, two brothers, two and a half sisters. I have read that your father was wrote some spy novels, which, considering like you know Raymond Chandler and, and other kind of literary influences on your work, was that that was that a thing that was interesting to you when you when you were a kid? Chandler was more of noir, and yeah, my father was more Graham Greene, uh, Anthony Burgess, uh, Eric Ambler. John Le Carre. Was he like an Anglo, uh, Anglophile? Actually, yeah, that describes it very well. He was. There's actually a pretty interesting interview with um, the guy who wrote all the James Bond novels and Raymond Chandler interviewing yeah. each other. Apparently they were... Oh, wow, I didn't Ian, know that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's an old audio file. That was Ian Fleming. Yeah, Ian Fleming and, and he Raymond was... Chandler interviewing people. It's on YouTube somewhere, but it's, it's a really kind of charming... Mm -hmm interview like he's like well you use more guns than we do and he's like well yes there are more guns here more people get shot he's like i love it i love it um yeah it seemed like that sort of in england the spy novel was sort of the noir novel of that time period for england and so they were kind of relate you know they the, the authors thought of themselves as kind of in related genres chandler was english you know originally and then he lived a long time in uh, Laguna Beach, actually. But he wrote about L.A. for the most part. I mean, did you want to be an artist all along? Or did you, did you start off with other interests? Art, writing, economics. It's, it's all the same thing, I suppose, in some way. That's definitely true. What do you true. mean by economics? But when you're Some filling out the form, it's not <laughs> like which, what, when you're filling out the form for what your major is going to be, they're, they're pretty different, right? My major was in economics, but 
by the time I was committed, I was already making art and writing. So I had, in a way, disenchanted with the economics as a, as a future. So the, by then. The, the path you were on was to be a teacher, like to be an economics teacher, and it had started to seem Yeah, that, that, would have, that would have been that, but mathematics wasn't my strong point, and doing blackboard economics with all the equations and calculus and so forth, statistics was not something I wanted to, to pursue. I assume that a lot of times if people who are journalists who are talking to you or interviewing you want to talk about your brother and Black Flag and how that kind of influenced you as an artist. And I don't want to like spend any more time on that than you already have, than you know, than you feel like. But I do want to ask about how, where in your art making sense of yourself as an artist did the flyers and album covers come in? Like, were people already seeing your stuff or was this the first time that your work was out in public? I don't know. There was a, it preceded it, I suppose. Of course, there's a, there's way much made out of that than, than was the case, but. Was it one of those things where your brother just needed some art and you yeah, happened to be exactly. doing some drawings? Yeah. So it worked out. So were you, yeah, I mean, were your zines, like you, you were making little magazines with your work in them before that? The first fanzine I did was, I believe, uh, I have, it's only fanzine, which you can have, okay? Because there was 5,000 printed and I destroyed oh, wow. 4,500. That's a decent print run. <laughs> Why? <laughs> no, because there's too much. Because the, the economics of it, once you get past like a hundred, okay, the marginal uh, cost of it is practically zero or minus, you know? I'm sure it's, it's been bootlegged. Not that one. The, oh. rest, the rest have, yeah, by my nephew. That's, like I said, that's, I'll, I'll give you on the way out. And okay. It's the only one I have left. The other was, others were... Uh, well, don't give me the only one you have left. <laughs> no, no, that's the only one I do have left. Oh, okay. So they were just your drawings and your ideas and sort uh, of a sketchbook kind of a thing? Well, I wouldn't say sketchbook because okay. I'm not... They were in informed... Okay, this was 78, I believe, and it took a, a, a few years or so or more to when I started and to finish. So this is... We're talking about, like, 75 or 76 to 77, 78. And if you look at... The fans in the book, there are punk rock rep, uh, references, somewhat, as well as art, literature, and you know, I'd have to go through it, you know, page by page, I, I suppose, to to explain. Where'd you get the idea to make a make a zine? I guess were you seeing other people who had made them at the time, uh, or was it just mm. like you're like, hey, I can be my own publisher? Nowadays, there's there's a fanzine culture. And back then, there was as well, but it was like science fiction, and which I wasn't familiar with in that sense, or comic book. And uh, there was, I don't know, it just it didn't it didn't fit the the mold. I wasn't I wasn't part of any of any of that really. Although, I mean, mind me, none of, I didn't sell one copy, you know, for the next ten years. Yeah. 
So there, there wasn't a market for it. And uh, there still isn't. Like I said, you know, it's, a, it's the only book I have extant copies of. I got like maybe 40 or 50 in, uh, down the hallway. So once well, you- you've got plenty of people publishing your books so, and your yeah. artwork, so it all worked out. But in the beginning, like, where did you, so you made all these books, like, where, did you just leave them in your house? Did you give them to people? Like, what? Yeah. Like I said, I, I threw, I tore them in half, and I had huge, those, those black trash bags full of, that I threw away. And that goes for most of my fanzines, the ones that were 500 copies, for instance, then I got down to 100, to 75, to 35, and I never had a market for them. I never sold in my life. I never sold one fanzine. I'd, I'd give them away to galleries or institutions or printed matter. Did you start doing music uh, at that time? Because oh. I know you're still doing it now. No, some, somewhat, but I, I never intended to... I never had a grand plan or like an urge to to make music. That kind of came about through the I don't know, any anyone who's who's near the belly of the beast of of rock music or punk rock music, whatever, is is gonna go through the back door, you know, and be a bass player sooner or later. No, I was I was I haven't touched a bass since 76 or 77. Yeah. I was never a musician. I don't know. I mean, I knew, I learned the, the Black Flag songs early, early on. So you were just more interested in drawing than making music? Yeah, yeah. To this day, I write, I write songs and sometimes I oh, perform them. But What were you, until like much later when you started being probably able to live off your art, what were you doing as a job? I was I taught junior high and high school for a couple of years. Oh wow! What subject did you teach? As a substitute, I taught oh, I taught anything, but then right. I taught math as a full time. Oh, okay. How did you feel the, about the that? Most, <laughs> how do I feel about it? Um, did you like it? Did you? Were the kids annoying? I'm a oh, teacher. Yeah, that's why I was asking. Oh yeah. Cool. <laughs> it was something I I continued to miss for like many many years is it's like going to war you know and to miss the battle yeah it's the only way i can describe it yeah and, yeah john yeah. zine was all and about then, like um, weird teaching stories i'll mail you a copy of my zine which is about teaching kids oh. art in the bronx oh, that's amazing and just yeah. sort of like the horror and i miss it just like you <laughs> it was horrible and i miss it <laughs> yeah it's, it's one of those hard to describe but the way i but it, at the time was like, well, like I said, I mean, I was the last, last person standing, you know, and no one I knew could have lasted like two weeks. How did you persevere? Oh, because as, as hard as things were, I still wanted to be a good teacher, and, you know, the, the handful of students who were there to learn made it worthwhile. That's fantastic. I, I remember when I was I, I was interning at Art Forum, and I I got a book from like a German gallery or something that was a Raymond Pettibone book. At the time, I only knew your album covers and stuff, but I was here. I was at Art Forum, and I looked at this book, and I was looking through it, and I was like, it was all in German, 
but I noticed there was like no references to punk rock or Black Flag or music or anything. And that was the first time that I realized that you had been kind of completely accepted by at least a certain part of the, the regular New York art world. And I th- remember thinking at the time, like, I wonder if this is Sonic Youth's fault because Sonic Youth always <laughs> seemed like the, to this day, like they seem to translate between punk rock and the art world. Like whenever there's a, a book that has an introduction or something, you know, that needs to get introduced or like, you know, the bad brains need to be explained uh, for, to the MoMA for some reason. It's always Sonic Youth. And then I noticed that Kim Gordon wrote an article about you in art form early on. Did you know them or is she just a fan? She, she went to art school with Mike Kelly and Tony Asler. And uh, at the time, I think I tangentially knew her. I mean, I knew her later. I mean, she was in one of my films, videos. Yeah. Going back. So she crossed those uh, boundaries as well. Was that the beginning of you showing and stuff uh, in galleries a lot? Or was it the biennial that started that? What was the point at which you were like, oh, I could just live off my art? Hmm. Well, I showed with some horrendous galleries... Zero One, Zero Zero, John Pokna, later Ace Gallery, Doug Christmas, all these, you know. Why were they horrendous? Oh, because they were thieves. Mm-hmm. I think I was first accepted more in New York than L.A., which is not uncommon. And I think my first show in New York was in, I don't know, the early 80s. And then I was, was showing with... Feature Gallery, which started in Chicago. Hudson was really a great guy, very important to me. Mm-hmm. That was in New York. That was early to mid-80s. It was relatively unusual at that time to have an artist, especially sort of like cutting-edge artist, that was just making drawings, like making a black-and-white drawing. That wasn't a thing that was commonly accepted as a way to make money in the art world until about 10 years later, I think. Did you have the feeling that you were kind of doing something unusual or was it just like, yeah, this is what I do and, uh, and people accepted it? I think it was both. I think you're right about drawings. They're like a preparatory way of doing paintings or to, it didn't rest as a primary medium. When you were thinking of like showing your work who were the artists that you thought had paved the way for you or who are the ones that inspired you? Was it like people like Otto Dix or are you thinking more like R. Crumb or where was your head at in terms of like, well, if people will, will, can show this, then I can show this. If you look back at my first book or fanzine, the visual influences on it were, on the one hand, they were from comic books, but more than that from from etchings, Ashcan School with uh, John Sloan, uh, Goya Blake, you know, because of the some image yeah. part of it, and Ashcan School. Those guys and Kirby all mixed together. Jack Kirby, yeah. Kind of reminded me of less of the comics that were around when you were, or being published when you were young than more like even older comics like 
yeah. like old Dick Tracy sure. kind of lines, you know, like that sort of very inky lines, like thin on the edge and thick in the middle, like that brushy line. Yeah. Were you interested in a sort of retro, a sort of timelessness, timeless look? I didn't see it as retro one way or another, but I wasn't a fan of comic books, mm-hmm. like a fanish, you know, kind of, to this day, it, I'm not, uh, though as much as I borrowed from them, visually, and I have, I have borrowed quite a lot from them, and uh, it was more like Milton Kniff or... Okay, like the newspaper Bernie strips. Krigstein. Like Alex Raymond? Yeah, Alex Raymond, for sure. Although, he, except more grimy than that, I guess. Mm-hmm. He had a kind of elegant line, you know. Sure. And uh, I didn't have that facility, you know, that talent to go in that direction. I feel like your way of drawing has changed over the years to sort of emphasize what you can draw and versus what some of the early stuff, it looks like you're trying to draw one way and then you're not, and then you're kind of making it interesting that you didn't quite make a photorealistic mm-hmm. drawing, whereas your later stuff is much more gestural. Is that a, an art that you see? That's, I think that's a good way of putting it. Because I, speaking of Jack Kirby, for instance, he's a great artist, okay? I'm not, or Alex Raymond, or a lot of artists, whether in the field of comics or... They get to a certain facility and then it stops. There is such a thing as early Jack Kirby and later Jack Kirby, for instance, but yeah. the evolutionary uh, growth there is not that great. I mean, in my case, I think I was... The way I put it sometimes, I was learning on the job, you know? Yeah. I still am. I trying to extend myself. I don't have a natural gift, perhaps, and I don't want to repeat myself. God knows, you know, I could do the same thing over and over, get to, like, I could do a a surf drawing and, you know, do 10 a day or whatever, and uh, each one will look alike. It's still a struggle to me. Every time I start with a blank canvas or paper. I don't really know where it's going to go. There's a lot of fits and starts, even though I don't, I've never used erasure or whiteout or uh, my mistakes are at the same time, you know, they're masked and I start over and it's a process. I don't, I don't know how it's going to end up until it gets to a point where it, it, it's ready to go, you know? Yeah, everything you describe is, I mean, even though it's like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing, like, that's that's the excitement in it. If you were just phoning it in like a robot, you, you know, nobody wants that. I, I've always kind of thought of your drawings as kind of being about that not being quite the model or being off-model. Like, in the sense of, like, you're teaching school in L.A., public school anywhere, is like, being faced with models all the time of, of what's supposed to happen and then seeing people be off the model in a very contemporary way because they're kids, you know, like you're seeing them spell things wrong, you're seeing them fail to be exactly the people that their parents are imagining that them to be, and you're seeing yourself as a teacher 
you know what you're like when you're not at work, and your work would reference the this sort of earlier time. Well, I mean, next to me, like Milk Kane, if I, I and I think of that art as like kind of confident noir tropes, like these sort of macho men and these sort of like gritty stories that have a very they were commercial products at the time. Like they were designed to work in a certain way and tell a certain sort of seamy story. And then your drawings would kind of relate to that world, but not quite be right and emphasize the way those things seem strange to us now. It seemed like you were purposefully emphasizing how, how those things didn't fit the real world. That's, yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it. I, well, okay, let me put it this way. Like I said before, there is a, I have, I did, and I still borrowed a lot from comics, as well as, like I said, the Goya Blake, Ashcan School, and many, whoever. And uh, my work was never, not that I intended it for, okay? I, when, I, when I made work, as soon as I did it, Okay, it goes out into the world. Like I said, there's 5,000 copies of my first book. And I destroyed like 4,500. Yeah. And there is never, to this day, uh, speaking of the comic world or comic fandom or whatever, my, my work was never acknowledged, nor is it today, by anyone in comics. Yeah. That wasn't because... And, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy where I am now, okay? It was the gallery, the museum world. Yeah. It wasn't pitched at one or the other. It right. was uh, just to make the work. If it finds a home, fine. If it doesn't, then, uh, uh, yeah, it took, it took many years before I made a dime, you know? But uh, it wasn't thought out and uh, pitched or planned, you know, for one or the other. And uh, retroactively, I don't know, I, I guess it makes sense in its own way, you know? It says something about the gallery museum world and and uh, the comics world, I suppose, you know? But that's not for me to say. I, I do want to talk about, like, uh, books that you're reading that you're interested in. Like, obviously, writing is a really big part of your work and images from literature. Who are your favorite writers right now and maybe all time? Hmm. Well, I don't read as much as I would as I like. Liked. I mean, I used. Yeah, I have over. That's a major part of my life, and my own work. Uh, I did a kind of an anthology for the Philadelphia Museum, and I believe the Renaissance Society at the same time in many years ago where it collected writing, I don't know, maybe 50 different writers, parts of, forget the name of it. Is there a certain genre you've liked more than others? Science fiction, uh, noir? I want to say, no. My favorite it? writers, uh, the writers I, that influence my work the most would be Henry James, especially his, his late style, John Ruskin, Thomas Brown, it can go from Cthulhu's to to modern day. There's some there's some writers that 
I love that that didn't so much enter enter into my own work, you know, like as an influence, and some that did. Can we talk about Ruskin for a second? I'm thinking like writing and drawing and economics as connected, and like the idea of things being connected is definitely a big theme in Ruskin. That you know, like if you do architecture right, you know, or you do craftsmanship right, that it influences everything else. And yet your work is very fragmentary. You, uh, uh, we always get the feeling that we're seeing part of a story. Uh, can you talk about how you see Ruskin's relationship to what you're doing? With Ruskin, there's early Ruskin and then later Ruskin, modern painters, yeah. and then his economic treatises, which was uh, kind of a misdirection the way I would see it. Yeah. And coming from an economics background myself, you know, he spent the last 30, 40 years of his life going into this field that was kind of unfortunate. Not that that stuff isn't worth reading and, you know, it's a value itself, but he became kind of like a, a lost soul this, the same way that uh, Ezra Pound did when he, when he got into, you know, the... Economics is like a black hole for that people should avoid, whether it's you know, Marx or uh, fascism, Carlyle the same way. So there, there's a split between the early Ruskin and the later Ruskin, where he was a not a medievalist but a Gothic champion. Then he became uh, to save the world, and. It was politics is and economics is when you're uh, of a for one you know a, a genius of that caliber and and someone who does have a, a platform a soapbox you know and it can be enticing to to make yourself a public figure and address to save the world right you know okay sure but at what cost. I have my, I have my, uh, my own uh, politics and so forth, but it's like any other subject matter that I delve into. I don't want to be a, a scold or to, to have this heightened uh, sense of purpose in life that I'm going to save the world. Okay, of course. If I had the capability of saving the world, I sure as hell would, but I don't. That do more harm than good, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a sense in your work that you're not trying to get a message across. You're just sort of trying to kind of temporarily focus attention in different places. Well, yeah, I don't have grandiose uh, expectations of... I'm not Sean Penn or... uh, (laughs) That would do more harm than good, you know? Beware of artists who, who cross over that boundary into propaganda because artists are not the popular uh, they're not going to attract votes yeah do you think art can change people's minds on things help them in a positive way oh that's a no <laughs> not to any extent where it would matter I mean uh, the most base uh, Donald Trump or or whoever you know like Hillary Clinton for that matter to the uh, to make a difference and to affect the polling, or the, that's usually in a very base 
crass appeal. Mm-hmm. I was showing some of your drawings to my mom the other day, saying I'm going to I'm going to meet this artist. She was a little disturbed by some of the drawings. She saw some of the earlier ones with the devil or a naked woman, and she's like, oh, I don't want to meet that guy. How do you feel about that? Oh. About, about my 73-year-old mother not wanting to meet you? <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I'm not trying to uh, upset, transgress, or to... Uh, most of my work is, is very... Uh, I'm not apologizing. She'll get over it. It's okay. I mean, it seems <laughs> I mean, like, actually, there's a, a desire to, like, not have the art and the way the art and the words connect be any specific thing. Like to open up the widest space possible what it is. Is that a feeling that you have? Like you want to be like, I want it to be, it's not that, it's not, it, to be not a list of things and, and be something sort of, it won't settle down. Okay, well, I think that's, again, that's a good way of putting it, I suppose. I do have a re- respect for my audience that I'm not trying to uh, hit basis with them and to be obvious and to allow some distance and whether you want to call it interpretation or some lyrical distance I suppose it's not the crassly forthright but that's that's not the intention it's not on the, uh, on the other hand it, between the, the image and the text it's not a it's not a random thing it's not a wishy-washy thing if you ask me to step in and explain what my intentions were of course that's problematic as well because they aren't always that forthright black and white etc you know itself but uh they aren't nor are they uh, random you know stabs in the the dark of either it, it seems like almost more like a, a- like you're recording moments in time, like in a novelistic way, like a, a moment of emotion or thought and emotion hitting each other in a, a certain moment. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know, perhaps, but I don't, I don't think they're, uh, they can be reduced to that much to like one particular moment in time. It's more spread out. It's, it's more uh, rather not to the point of trying to make a point. It's open-ended, I suppose. I don't know how to put it exactly. Has there ever been something that somebody said about your work that you were like, that's dead on? Like, that's a, that makes real sense to me. Hmm. Well, I think that's already happened in this conversation, you know? Like, it's, like I said, I mean, that some of your, your questions are... All right. <laughs> you hear that? We're great. For <laughs> real. <laughs> I mean, I, I think like it just. It, I feel like so much of it about is about resisting an interpretation in a certain sense. Like I always think of your work as there's an irony sometimes in the way the picture goes with the words, but it's never a simple irony that's easy to be like. It, it's you don't know whether the, the words being critical of the text or the image being critical of. Like, it's hard to say what it's pointed at. I mean, often irony is is pointed at at one of the subjects. It doesn't seem like it's that. And even in the, even in the, the, the stuff that I, you know, being the age I am experienced as like punk rock art, didn't seem to want to be pinned down to that 
use, you know, as a, as commercial art. Uh, and and in a way, I thought that the it was it was great for the music because it suggested a wider world than what you would have gotten if I don't know, like if every black if Black Flags, you know, police story was just illustrated with like a picture of a dead cop. I think it would have suggested a smaller world, and it, I guess maybe that's it. Is it just seems to try to suggest a larger world underneath everything? Yeah, well, illustration is not my strong point, nor what I want it to be. And I think practically any artist or writer uh, resists interpretation. They don't want to be tied down to something, you know, that, that, and that, that can be uh, kind of obnoxious. That actually is, a, is an interesting thing, though, in that you're, you're using tropes of illustration, you know, like an isolated figure on a landscape, you're using pen on white, you know, you're using several techniques and references that are illustration, and illustration is all about having a point and telling people what to think about something or communicating a very specific idea. And I know I've probably John, John less, because John's actually good at telling stories, but I, I like, I'm rotten at that, even though so many of the artists that I liked were illustrators, I'm terrible at communicating a specific idea in my art. The art seems to want to communicate just nothing or, or just like what's in front of me in a, in a certain way. And your work is very much like, it's resisting what illustration traditionally does, yet it's using so many of the tools of illustration. Yeah, well, look, I mean, for... Any writer uses uses the same motherfucking, you know, 26, what is it, 26 characters, you know, and the alphabet, and you can, in, in the English language, it's how you put them together. Are you kind of doing collages in your head in a certain sense? Both with image and, and words, yeah. It's become... Well, it, it already was collage. Okay, now now I make it make it obvious. I mean, the the works in themselves are for many years now actually already collaged together visually with different Im images. But it already was, and there's there is a multiple voices within each frame. It, whether you start and stay with one image, visual image, and so to break it up into, okay, well, we are, we are talking about my first book. Some of that was comic book with sequential images, and that's something I, you know, get back to here and there. In the later work, or at least, I don't know if it's like the latest stuff you're working on, but relatively recently, the, the big water or waves or like the big repetitive marks of the of a sort of big like liquid shapes. What are those about to you, and what what gets you into those? Part of it is is uh, the gesture of the hand, mm -hmm. and you see that in in some of the I do a motif of the Gothic cathedrals, which is if you sweep with the hand, okay, like three quarters and kind of bent. Yeah. Well, that's how you make a wave and or a cloud or a gothic arch. So some of the art, it can be, you know, kind of reduced to the gestural way that 
you make a drawing. Okay, I mean, I've done one of my motifs is, is cross hatches, which I've done over from I don't know forty years or whatever. Sure, yeah. Just as a subject subject matter, and that's kind of the same. Like when you, tell me, I, how many years is, uh, have I been drawing? Uh, and uh, you, you get to the point where it becomes kind of like the act of drawing itself becomes kind of self, self-referential. So it becomes about drawing, you know, and the gesture. That's an interesting point because when you draw water in a sort of pulpy illustration, inky style, that is one of the moments where the, the technique, the, the trope that, uh, that is used to represent that thing with water looks the least like the photographic representation of it. Like when you draw a shadow with ink, it often looks very much like a shadow done in a, in a photograph, like e- even in that style. But if you try to draw a liquid the convention that that style has for drawing liquid with this like short, sharp strokes, it's more about what the thing feels like than what it uh, photographically looks like. Is that uh, significant to you? Yeah, I, I think so. But when I could do, uh, I got a few uh, wave drawings here in progress, which I want to finish for the show I'm working on. and and. Typically, I, I do, I don't know, maybe a couple a year of that, because I don't want to repeat myself. And it might take, look, I could, I could do one uh, in a couple hours and sell it for whatever. And like I said before, I don't, I don't know where, when I start, I don't know where it's going to end up. And I don't work from, sometimes, somewhat I, I work from, Photographs or stills from uh, from a video or um, and projected, but usually they're not even composites or they're from from things that are totally uh, unrelated to waves. You know, they're not so much from my mind or starting point of uh, visual memory because I don't I don't have a good visual memory or but uh, it. It can be from some odd reference that's completely apart from from a wave, the way it breaks. And then the, with that and the clumsiness of my my own hand and the chore of working it out and the fits and starts, like I said, and to arrive at something that does make sense visually. How do you know when the picture's done? At what point you're like, yep, that's it. There's, I can't say there's, there's always, uh, sometimes you just have to let go. Mm. And you can, then the result can be entirely different than what you started with and what you envisioned it to be. I mean, there, if you look at the studio, there's, there's literally hundreds of, of drawings here. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Are you working on several things at once, a dozen things at once? Are you just going from spot to spot? Okay. It it hasn't always been that way, but... It seems like a good idea for, oh, I don't know what to do with this one, but I I don't want to waste time, so here I am over at this one. Is that something that you find works? It's not so much about time. It's about um, 
I don't have a picture in my own mind of, of what it's going to be like. It, mm. it, and it can, uh, it can change over time, and, and it can be uh, actually many years. There's, oh, really? there's works here that go back 20, 30 years, and uh, I don't get back to it until it, uh, I see something in it, or sometimes it can be carved up and become tossed out or become part of a collage. Or who knows? The work's in progress. Have you ever seen your work hanging at a gallery show and being like, oh, wait, it's not done, or I should fix this? Has that ever happened? Oh, yeah, that happens. Does it? Often? Just once it, in a while? It, it depends. Uh, if if uh, I have an opportunity to see it, if it's... Yeah, I mean, sometimes when they're up, I'll change things. And mm. Is there anything that you really don't like to draw? Don't like to draw? Yeah. Um, like a subject matter, you mean? I guess a subject matter, but if it's, if that it's or maybe feet. some <laughs> other thing. Like an, yeah, like anatomy? Uh, I don't notice anything. Anything you're just like, I don't want to draw that. I hate that. I hate penguins. I don't know. Penguins aren't bad. <laughs> I'm not great at... Well, I'm not great at many things. I know somebody wanted me to do Ray Liotta once, and I was like, that is as far from what I want to draw as, as anything could be. Uh, you know, and I, I felt like I learned something about what I did want to draw at that moment. Well, he's kind of a work in progress, so, you know? <laughs> I mean, you do have, like, these sort of figures or protagonists or heroes in, in your pictures. Like, I don't know, heroes, but, like, repeated figures, and they yeah. are people who are kind of creating in some sense like do you feel like there's a like what draws you consistently to certain kind of or did draw you consistently to certain figures yeah but they were never I don't think they were ever uh, there's subject matter I go back to quite a bit and it was never planned that way like the first time I did uh, a drawing of I don't know, Easter Island or Baboom or a Wave or whatever. It wasn't done with the idea that I'm going to keep going back to it. It's just that I had more to say on the subject, either visually or with writing or more likely both. I wanted to ask you more about your, your studio practice. I think I noticed you had some brushes that you were... Did you clip into them with scissors or a razor blade? Um, Did you shape them? Yeah, I do that sometimes. Can you just not find a brush that you like? You have to, you gotta tinker uh, with them? It depends. That, uh, maybe I should, should I show you some? Yeah, I could describe it since it's the radio. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, no worries. Raymond is taking off his headphones. He's going to get us a brush that I'm going to describe over the radio. Here's <laughs> one that is already, uh, let me see. That's called a... Uh, a cow's tail, a cow's... No, a cat's tail. I remember it's called a reservoir liner, I think. Oh, I'm totally off. It comes to a point, and some... Well, that's a different one. Some I cut, though. Oh, yeah, these are quite a unique shape. You're definitely cut into these. No, but that one's... That's how it goes with that. Oh, okay. Some other ones... The point is that... It, it goes to a point, so you can you can uh, draw to a point, but you can also get get a really thick line at the same time. 
Right. And how do you feel about sumi brushes? The Japanese sumi brushes with the bamboo? I used to... I used to use those, but not, not much for a while because they don't... Um, okay. They don't work for me so much. This, We've got one with, I, got, I should take a picture of that for the website because it's got tape on it. It's got a weird this brush like on a, the end. This is like a plumbing. It's got um, a plumbing brush on it. Nice. Yeah, it's a, that should be in one of your shows. The tools of Raymond Pettenbaum. These, I. What do you do with that? This seems like a tool that you would clean out a jar, like a brush. Are you drawing with that? You get in that uh, tobacconist to clean pipes. Like oh, pipes. a pipe cleaner, sure. But it's that got metal bristles. Okay. That's when you. For the folks listening, he's he's now drawing with a with a pipe cleaner. Well, that looks like not... an engraved line, right? Yeah. Or an etching. Okay. Look at the cross. Sure. Pipe. All right. Yeah. That's something I stumbled upon, but just by accident. Yeah. Okay. How else could you stumble upon it? Okay. You should patent that and make your own tool. We could have it in art supply stores. The Raymond Pettibone brush sets. <laughs> I get them from uh, when I can find them by by uh, tobacconists. Right. The best ones are a little smaller than that. Okay, that's that great. You must have been happy the day you discovered that. Yeah. It. Uh, I don't know if, uh, if they have any art utility, you know, aside from my discovering, discovering it by just an accident. Sure. But sometimes it's more fun if you find art supplies at a hardware store than an art supply store. It's a little more exciting. Also, the sponges. It's cheaper. Those come from hardware. Yeah. No, it is. So you can, you can uh, spend, like, $100. It's always a blessing when you find something is one of, going to be one of your main art supplies that isn't an art supply because it will cost half as much. As soon as other people start yeah. using it as an art supply, you're screwed. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It, it does seem like you are always using, like your, your style of drawing is, you know, you're using ink on this white paper, but you're always pressing it into a variety of formats. Like the technique is, is similar, but the, the shapes that you will, the things you do with it is, is a very wide variety. You mean from like one brush stroke? To another, or uh, I mean, like the, the overall size of the picture. Like sometimes there'll be big murals, and sometimes they'll be round, and sometimes oh, yeah. you know, like okay. like within that. Right. It's it's easier to to uh, paint or to draw large than if anything in the art world. The for any given artist, you know, if, in general, the larger it is, the more the marginal increase of the size of the drawing or the painting the value of it, you know, the price of it is going to be increased, like, way more. It, it, it would be a relief to, to work in a mural size for everything. All, all you've got to do is, like, roll out the, the canvas or, the, paint, or the, the paper and work large. That's no problem. The cost of ink or, or paint, what the hell, you know, that doesn't... Like your act, the actual image is always related to the size of the stroke that you make with your hand. Like you have a certain length 
of a stroke you, you, you would naturally do and, and, and it has to do with the way the ink is related to like the size of your hands. So your work, you don't just scale the work up when you work larger. You actually make an image that it, it's kind of like the same music, but it's filling a different uh, amount of space because the relationship of the size of the whole picture to the size of your gestural stroke is different. Yeah. Well, you're... Here's the sponges. Okay, that's a big one. Yeah. And you're drawing with those big sponges too? Yeah. It's fun because I just imagine you're just drawing with your whole arm rather than just your wrist. You know, your whole arm and your elbows coming into play mm -hmm. with those big ones. Just a yeah. lot more options. Do you have any other rituals of the studio that you'd like to share with us? Rituals? Um, I don't know. Like, uh... You got a dozen things you're working on at once. You've got all these different brushes. You just come in the studio in the morning and you get right to drawing. Do you have to have any things in place first? No, I'm kind of scattered, scatterbrained mm. about that sort of thing. Mm. I'm not very good, uh, like, systemic. Just, I don't know, it's just not, my, uh, doesn't happen. Well, you're making great work, so I'm not worried. I think at a certain point, you're, you're, the, the work resists interpretation almost on purpose. On the other hand, I feel mm -hmm. like if you're an artist listening, you kind of want to, like, what made that especially compelling? And I think what made it compelling to some degree is, like, is that everybody else is giving a message and you kind of want to give people less, or, or instinctively give people just something to think about. I mean, is the, draw, is the work in the end like a tool for thinking? I think it is for me. I don't know how if that gets, gets across to anyone else, but with any given drawing or work of mine, there is a, I don't know if I'm, if I'm getting across or if that's even necessary. But it does give a, a beginning, a, a, a trace, or some indication or, or display of what's going on in my mind, you know, and in my hand, and the mind to the body to hand coordination, in some sense. Of course, that's never going to be perfectly played out to anyone. I mean, that's why uh, there's still many papers, you know, to write on uh, what. Wordsworth meant, or Shakespeare, or whoever. And that will never stop. In my case, it's also investigatory, and I don't know where I'm going uh, to. It's not, it's not like from, as much as I love cartoons, you know, there's not a direct denouement or a punchline to even, you know, the, the best cartoons, there's, there's not as well either. Do you ever feel like if investigating that there was something you found out? Like, like, can you think of a moment where you're like, I was investigating through my work and I feel like at this point I figured this out? I don't know. I think that probably happens all the time. Just on like a low level way, like sort of constantly learning things? I don't think it's become like a, a shtick to me, like some parlor game where you can you can have it all figured out and explain it and display it to everyone. There is that element to it, you know, which I, I could meet people halfway, you know, and show them the tricks of the trade, I suppose. But uh, I mean, that, that's something that people want, want you 
they want to believe that there is some kind of like trick or a reductive kind of way of making the work that will explain everything, whether they think it's some, jeez, uh, I mean, whatever people think of my work, like it's some kind of like therapeutic, uh, like I, I live the work, you know, myself, or uh, I'm some, some weirdo, or it's all from dropping acid and, and that explains everything. You know, it, something I've done for, oh, damn, my whole life, you know, and it's a long motherfucking time. And uh, I meet anyone half, halfway, you know, as in this conversation, I've tried to, to explain uh, as much as I can how I work. Is there any one thing you would tell young artists coming up? Well, okay. First of all, you know, don't take anything I say as a, a font of wisdom. On the other hand, to take in as much as you can, which isn't necessarily uh, learning uh, the best techniques of uh, rendering uh, what you see in front of you or what you see on a projector or whatever and rendering it into pen and ink or paint or but to immerse yourself into history so take in everything and believe nothing well that uh, i think that's a that's an also an apt way of putting it i think all right raymond it was a, it was a pleasure thank you so thank much you so much for taking the time to talk with us oh please it's it means a lot to us Thanks for listening to this episode of We Eat Art. Check out our guest, uh, Raymond Pettibone. Most recent book is called Homo Americanus, and it's published by David Zwerner Books. October 5th, he's in a two-person show with Marcel Ziama, and that's at David Zwerner Gallery in London. Also, John has more of my artwork through my Tumblr at the pen, or just Google John McGuess. And Zach has a new book with Shana Maivo coming out October 4th. Next podcast, we'll be talking with Mark Thomas Gibson. You can support this podcast by liking us on Facebook and Twitter at We Eat Art. You can also rate us on iTunes. Please subscribe or tell a friend. We Eat Art is sponsored by no one yet. And is produced by Paping and Mnemonic Recordings. Our sound producer, engineer, and editor is Justin Asher. I've, you've totally broken my immersion. <laughs> I'm thrown out of it.